you have to do all the work and you have to be brave enough to put yourself out there. And sometimes a lightning bolt is going to strike from the heavens and it's going to work out. And sometimes it's just not going to flow and it's going to be one of those days that it doesn't work. But if you're not willing to put yourself up there and to put yourself in a position to be great, you're never going to be great. Hey everyone, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to a very special episode, episode 171 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. And honestly, saying that all together, the phrase have some fun along the way, literally couldn't describe today's episode, today's guest anymore. I am resurfacing my conversation with Molly Seidel from early 2019 because Molly earned the bronze medal in the Olympic marathon. She's only the third ever woman to ever medal in this event, including past hurdle guest Dina Castor, as well as Joan Benoit Samuelson. And get this, she did this in her third ever marathon. I was watching it at my dad's house in Trumbull. I was absolutely geeked, crying, so overwhelmed with emotion and just so amped knowing her journey, knowing her story, which I am so excited to bring back to the feed today. This episode was originally episode 100 and it was the last recording in person of Hurdle before the pandemic. Just so crazy to think how much has happened since then. We recorded it in Molly's then home in Boston sitting on her couch and it was just a really special opportunity not long after she had placed at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials down in Atlanta. For today's episode, Molly talks about how she earned her spot at the Olympics. Fun fact that Olympic trials was her first ever marathon back in early 2019. She qualified to be there based off of her half marathon time. We talk about how she braved so, so, so many hurdles to get there, including battling obsessive compulsive disorder, disordered eating, and a string of injuries that at so many times set her back. Seriously, it is the most beautiful story of perseverance of mind and body. And ever since meeting her and having this conversation, I have been enamored by her. I am just so in awe of how today she has emerged after all of this adversity as such a strong athlete for sure, but really just such an admirable woman. At 27 years old, she has made such unbelievable strides in this sport, and I am so excited, understatement of the year, to continue to follow her amazingness. 
going forward. Fun fact, back at the trials, Molly's marathon time was 2.27.31. That's a 5.38 mile average overall. In the Olympic marathon, she ran a 2.27.46. So basically, in obscene heat and conditions and humidity, Molly's perseverance, her strength, her tenacity just shone through. I am just so so geeked for her and again so excited to bring this conversation back to the feed and share her story i'm looking forward to the opportunity of regrouping with molly in the near future so stay tuned on that obviously so much more that we can bring into the mix since this original conversation in early 2019. i am also super 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 stoked because hurdle merch is officially available sweatshirts hats and mugs link to snag yours is in the show notes follow along with hurdle at hurdle podcast i'm over at Emily Abadi. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Molly Seidel. She is a pro runner, a soon-to-be Olympian. Mm -hmm. That will never get old. No, it really doesn't. (laughs) Every time my heart kind of like jumps a little bit. I feel excited and a little bit honored (laughs) that I'm sitting here on your couch. We're in Boston. (laughs) I am really just kind of in awe of you as I think a lot of people people are right now. (laughs) I I feel like it's uh, I'm vastly uh, underwhelming when people actually meet me. (laughs) I had a girl tell me the other day, she's like, I expected you to be taller. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I'm sure you're kind of interacting with a lot of people for the first time right now. Yeah. Well, it's wild because in the lead up to the trials, a lot of a lot of pro runners like myself, we kind of like, it's almost like this monastic life. Like you really kind of narrow in focus. I was actually out in Flagstaff, Arizona. So it was kind of like a very like focus on your training. Like you're not really going out a whole lot. It's just like you're nailing your 115 to 120 miles a week and that's your life. And now it's like I get back to Boston where all my friends are here. It's just a very, Boston is a huge running community in general. And so now it's really weird. Like uh, before I could just like bang out my runs on the river and kind of like put my hat down and go. And now I've even just today I got stopped by a by a girl and I always like want to be polite and friendly and introduce myself and I'm also like I kind of need to finish my run <laughs> kind of in a little bit of a rush yeah, here sorry, I'm <laughs> technically working right now <laughs> and I mean forget in real life but I can't even imagine what the outreach has been on social media yeah. and I mean I'm sure other wonderful journalists are reaching out to you as mm-hmm. well so it's probably just a lot yeah it's it's a lot it's been um pretty crazy uh I also like try to keep the perspective of like if I start to like get overwhelmed or get kind of like cranky like I just want to like go back to just my little boring life I try to remember that this is ultimately very good for the sport of women's running because we don't necessarily get a whole lot of press a lot of people don't know what professional running is or follow professional road racing so it is really exciting that uh, all of a sudden people are really excited about it and it's an Olympic year it's kind of the prime time to to capitalize on it and let people know like what our sport is about I love it. And so for those that might not be in the loop, Molly came in second at the Olympic marathon trials with a 
31. That's a 538 mile mm-hmm. for 26.2 miles. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the funny thing. If somebody had told me that beforehand that I would be able to run that on that course, I definitely wouldn't believe them. I wouldn't believe them if they told me I was going to get second, but I was definitely nervous going into it with it. Uh, being a, a bit of a rookie in, in this area uh, about holding that kind of pace for that long. So sometimes you just have to you just have to do it before you're ready to do it. <laughs> and I mean, you just said the key word there, rookie. So <laughs> all of the headlines, it's Molly runs first ever marathon yeah. <laughs> qualifies for the Olympics. So explain how that works to people who might not totally mm-hmm. understand how you just showed up and ran your first marathon yeah. and going to the Olympics. Yeah. So I think <clears throat> a lot of people have been a little bit confused because a, a lot of the headlines have been maybe exaggerating a bit like girl literally runs the first time in her life and qualifies <laughs> for the Olympics. Incredible. And I, I work uh, part time at a, a bakery as well. So it's like barista takes two hour coffee break and runs a marathon. <laughs> I being a professional runner, I uh, I do run a lot. I've been running since high school. I, I ran for many years for the University of Notre Dame at the collegiate level, but I was primarily 5K and 10K. So that's three miles and six miles. And uh, as I transitioned to pro running after college, I moved up a little bit, was doing slightly longer races, but it's only within the past, I would say, four months at this point that I've moved up to the half marathon and now the marathon. So it was, uh, I was training at a a pretty high level going into this. By no means was I like couch to 5k or couch to marathon. (laughs) Um, I'd been training upwards of about like a hundred miles a week. I've had many interruptions with injury, but it wasn't necessarily a challenge to ramp up to marathon training. Uh, My body handled it pretty well because I've got basically Oh, God, now I feel like I'm going to date myself. I'm 25 now. I've been doing this since I was about 14, running consistently every single day. So, yeah, uh, basically 11 years at this point. What made you decide to ramp up and go for the longer distances? Basically, I have struggled a lot over the past several years with injury. And things. I just felt like I was hitting my head against the wall and kept getting hurt, kept getting hurt doing this 5K, 10K training. Um, I ended up leaving the training group that I was with um, over the summer specifically for, or that was a, a major part of it. It just wasn't really working anymore. I have so much respect for my my previous coach, but it was just frustrating for the both of us that I couldn't do the kind of training that he wanted me to do. Um, when I began to be coached by my current coach, who's a, a good friend of mine who was a, a Saucony teammate of, my, teammate of mine, John Green, Um, we kind of came to the realization that my body really thrives off of super high mileage, longer tempo runs, the type of training that a marathoner would traditionally do as opposed to fast interval workouts that a track athlete would do. So he was like, let's try this out. We'll see if your mileage can get up, just build a good base, get aerobically strong, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, And I was feeling really healthy, really strong, and he thought it would be fun to hop in a half marathon. Jumped in a half marathon in December, qualified for the Olympic trials, and we figured, hey, it'll be a cool experience. Like, we'll go out, and then maybe a couple years from now, when you're when you're a little bit older, when you're closer to the age that women traditionally start moving up to the marathon, then you'll then you can try and be competitive. So, yeah, this was all kind of a a big shock. Like, 
going in and with my first marathon buildup really going a lot better than I expected. And I love what you told Runner's World. You said you were going into it and keeping an open mind, knowing how much it's going to hurt and prepared for that amount of pain. <laughs> the idea of pain and running, and I, I feel like I've been talking about this a lot lately because it's so true. The pain is part of what you sign up for. Yeah. I think a lot of people assume that when you get to the pro level of running that it doesn't hurt anymore that if like it's this idea that if you get fast enough that it won't hurt anymore and if anything it's the opposite I think <laughs> it, it well it's funny because I think I'm the biggest change in going from high school to college to professional running is your relationship with the discomfort of running changes and you're able to kind of like come to terms with it and handle it because that's running at its core is just being uncomfortable for a long period of time and like battling inside your own head of your brain constantly telling you to stop. And I hate to admit how many times in races I have had the thought of like, you should just stop right now. And it's like, nope, I can't stop. I have to keep going. I think it's probably pretty refreshing for people to hear that you still feel that way for people who are, you know, maybe even just starting out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of starting out, mm -hmm. you didn't just show up in Atlanta, contrary to some of the headlines. <laughs> and or I was, to I was super oblivious night. about things in many <laughs> senses. I had uh, I had no idea how much to warm up for before a marathon because for road races and shorter stuff, we warm up 20 minutes or three miles. And so I was assuming that I'd do the same thing for a marathon. And I like asked a couple of people, they're like, oh, my God, no, you don't you don't warm up for a marathon. You're going to be running for 26 miles. I'm like, I'm really glad I asked. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't go run an extra three. Yeah, exactly. Because well, then my coach is like, why would you do that? You'd be running like 32 miles that day then. Like, so extra. I know. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you didn't just show up and run a I marathon. I did not just show up. <laughs> you said you grew up running, but talk to me about where you grew up, what you, uh, what your interaction was with sport from a young age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Grew up, uh, grew up running in Wisconsin. Basically I went to a super, super, super small school. Like my graduating class was 13 kids. Um, grew up in, in Wisconsin and I, I knew that I loved running, um, but I was doing a lot of other sports as well. I played field hockey. Ski racing was our, our main sport. That was kind of like our school's pride and joy. So those are kind of like my main sports, but I knew that I loved running and I knew I was good at it. Um, I basically got into it through my church. They had a church team and they needed extra kids for like the Catholic school league. And they let me join through my CCD and found out that I was pretty good at it. Um, but at the same time, this was like a pretty, pretty small pond to be running in. So by the time I got into high school and I was the only person on our track team and I was like, well, I hope that like I can still be competitive and ended up in going out and winning quite a few state titles at the Wisconsin state level. Is that just constant one on one coaching? Yeah. So it was basically my middle school track coach, Brian Borkowski, who I'm still super, super close with. Um, he was just like, well, if you need someone to coach you too, like I'll like come and like run with you after school. Like if you want to, I'm like, yeah, that would be great. And he was actually pretty much the first person that got me kind of dreaming of someday doing the marathon because he would do Boston every year. And in my mind, Brian was just like the coolest individual. I was like, oh my God, he goes out and like runs the Boston marathon and does all this training and he's still super fast and he'll run my workouts with me. And like at the time I was running like 20 miles a week, it wasn't anything for him to like run this extra stuff with me. But 
he just showed me how to love running. Like he just loved running so thoroughly that it showed me that like running is this thing that, yeah, it's hard. It's painful. But at the same time, like it is just like it brings you together with people. It helps you find confidence in yourself. And it's it's this sport that's just so much more than just running in circles. Right. So I, I really am so grateful for him for teaching me how to love running despite all the challenges that it brings. Did you find in high school then that your love for running was kind of a lonely experience if you didn't have a ton of people to do it with aside from mm-hmm. your coach? See, that's the thing. I I never feel like running alone is lonely for me. And I don't know if part of that is developed from so much time running alone because Brian would only be able to meet up a couple times a week. So yeah, about half the time I was running solo. Um, and then during cross country season, I'd basically be running alone for the majority of the season. And I had to learn a lot of self-reliance, I guess. Not that I didn't have other people supporting me and helping me. Like my family was super supportive. I had a lot of friends through the sport, but yeah, it's, I think I had to develop that sense of like, regardless of whether there are people to run with, whether or not the weather is good or bad or whatnot, you you just go out and run regardless. And I think that really helps nowadays because I do the I do a lot of my training solo and I run a lot more now than I was in high school. And so it's just being able to get that like internal drive or I don't know, it probably the the fact that I have OCD probably plays into it a little bit of just like it's really not a struggle to like go out every day because I'm a little bit obsessive. I'm like, oh no, I just, I have to go out and do it. And after a while, it it doesn't even become a choice. It's just like brushing your teeth. It's kind of like, oh, it's not a question of whether I'm running today. I am running today. Right. I actually said that to my dad the other day about going to the gym. He just got a membership at the Y. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you just need to establish what days are your gym days. And then you'll wake up and it'll be Tuesday. And it's like, OK, it's gym day. It's gym day. Yeah. That's just it. Taking the guesswork out of it so you can make it actually a habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that keeps you accountable, obviously. Yeah. Because when it's when you don't have to like make a conscious decision every day of like, oh, do I want to run? Like, do it. Like, the weather's not good. Like, factoring all that in, like, it's so hard. But if it's just, like, in your mind, like, oh, nope, going out and doing this, it's just not, it's just automatic. It takes out that extra guesswork and it makes it that much easier to get out the door. And I think that's why people love training for marathons, right? Because Mm -hmm. it brings another level of consistency and regularity and kind of makes you feel like you have your life together, even when you might not, (laughs) just because you have a schedule to follow. You have Mm -hmm. something that just feels constant when everything around you might feel a little bit chaotic. Yeah. Well, and that's what the times in my life where I've had running taken away from me. So like during injuries per se, it's, I do notice just how unstructured I feel like I'm just like adrift kind of, and I have no way of like, yeah, I just feel like my days are just kind of lost then and it doesn't help that this is my job so imagine then like not only do you not like have running with the endorphins and the the structure that it gives but then it's like I just don't have anything to do so right yeah that can be that was a real real struggle especially like over the past several years once this was like my full-time job totally so in high school you win a few state championships and then you go to Notre Dame Mm mm-hmm So I ended up, I won nationals for cross country my senior year of high school. So got a scholarship to Notre Dame, 
um, which I was just like so excited about. It was the chance to like get college paid for it just because I can run in circles kind of still blows my mind a little bit. <laughs> but um, I went to Notre Dame, had an incredible team around me, but really struggled my first two years. I struggled with a lot of injuries. Um, I ended up my freshman year having mold in my dorm room. So I was really, 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 really sick. Wow. Um, yeah, it was just not a great situation. And it was it was hard. I thought uh, by the end of my sophomore year, I was considering quitting the cross country team just because I I couldn't get anything together. I was just so hurt. I was just in pain all the time. And it just wasn't fun anymore. And I ended up basically like I didn't qualify for regionals my sophomore year, just kind of like pieced out, went and did um, research down in Argentina for the summer. I was just like, kind of fell back in love with it because it was running regularly and doing really high mileage was a great way to fight some of the culture shock because I was the only American on the crew that I was with. So uh, yeah, kind of fell in love with it. And when I came back, we ended up getting a new coach that year and Sparks just kind of changed my entire collegiate career. And you mentioned before that you had OCD. So when did you start seeing that develop? Um, that was through high school, just being around like my family and the structure of that. Um, it it really helped being able to, and I think it's lower stress in high school. Um, mine comes out a lot more when I'm under high stress situations, high pressure. So it really started kind of like becoming this really big negative influence on my life during college, just because I was under so much stress with school, so much stress with running, and I didn't have good ways of managing that anxiety and that's ultimately what OCD is it's you have all this anxiety and you develop control mechanisms to to try and feel some sense of relief or some sense of control over the world that just feels like it's spinning out of control so what were some of your control mechanisms knocking was a big one for me um I would like knock especially on wood in like repetitive patterns saying things over and over to myself when it gets really bad I would like flip light switches like you can't like leave a room until you've done certain things of like oh I check things I flip the light switch on or, like obsessively checking like ovens and I was pretty good at like hiding it from a lot of people because I really like you know consciously like this is super weird I don't like you consciously know that it's not necessary to do these things but you have to do it like your your body almost like you just feel this sense of dread if you don't and then obviously it would reflect in my running sometimes. I would kind of obsessively seek out mileage. Um, and then ultimately it came down to eating. Yeah, um, yeah it developed into really negative um, disordered eating habits. Talk to me a little bit about that. A lot of that, it doesn't necessarily stem from body image issues, though I that is a huge problem in our sport, this idea that you need to be very thin. I was uh, kind of like obsessively purging at certain times. So um, making myself throw up. Uh, that was more towards like the early end of college and, uh, yeah, just like only eating certain kinds of foods, eating certain amounts. And yeah, it's just finding ways to like exert control over the world by controlling something at, like what you put into your body is something so easily that you can control. So when you're like, I can't, like, I feel like everything is just like spinning out of my, like out of my control, I'm able to just like manage this one thing right here. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people casually will say, oh, I have the worst OCD. Uh, I hate it when people say that. Like, <laughs> and I realize, like, I think 
I think there are a lot of people in the world who do have OCD tendencies, but like saying like, I wash my hands all the time. I'm so OCD or like, I just need to make sure my room is clean. I'm so OCD. I'm like, you don't know what real OCD is. Like, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And it's like, it's just these repetitive thoughts. And sometimes it's this feeling that your brain is like a radio that's turned up to like full volume. And it's just these repetitive thoughts. You can't get them to quiet down and you can't focus on the world because your brain is just so loud. And so it's it's hard. But I think like people who are actually are really struggling with it, like getting help and like seeking therapy for me, ultimately, that was the biggest thing for me is learning how to manage it. It's like my life is so drastically different now than it was. And I've been on and off medication for it. Ultimately, like meditation actually really helps. I'm trying to be good with it. And I know that sounds so like millennial of like, oh, yeah, I'm meditating every day. <laughs> but like it that actually has been a super big thing for me. And then just running, even though some of my OCD tendencies exert themselves on my running, my running is a very good way to manage my OCD. Something about like the rhythmic nature clearing my mind. It's just like sometimes I feel like my brain doesn't fit with my body sometimes. It's just like my brain is just exploding. And then I go for a run and it's like my brain finally fits inside of me. Like everything just makes sense and everything syncs up in a way that I feel like my truest self when I'm out running. And I think that's ultimately why I love running so much because it's the only time that I feel like my brain works. <laughs> I can relate with that for sure. And I mean, when it came to dealing with your OCD and then what eventually became disordered eating, when you got help, was it because that you were ready to seek it or was it because that people started to catch on to the fact that you had a lot of ticks per se? Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a combination of things. I originally early in college started going and seeing just one of the Notre Dame like counseling center therapists because I knew this was a problem and it was really affecting me. Um, it's like when it gets to a point of like that it, you feel like you it's disrupting your normal life. That's when it gets really hard. So in terms of my OCD, that was something that I was able to like identify that I needed help on, sought out help and learned of ways to manage it a bit better in terms of my eating disorder which then kind of took on a life of its own that was much more of like I was in such denial about it and I think because of how our sport is structured there the normal like control stops of like when you see someone losing a lot of weight like struggling mentally that isn't something that kicks in quite as early as it would in other realms just because with running it's like this idea that like, oh, you look so fit. You look so lean. You look so ready to race. That in other spaces would have been like, oh, you look really unhealthy. Like you aren't well right now. But I was running so well. I was winning NCAA championships. This was later in college. This was more my junior, senior year. Um, and I ended up having probably lost about 20 pounds at that point. But it was that I was running so well and I looked so quote unquote fit that things were okay. And I thought things were okay because I had moved past the point where I was knocking on things all the time, where I was forcing myself obsessively to purge that now it had transformed into kind of this life of its own. I think that's what's insidious about it is that with mental health issues, it can so quickly 
transform into one thing. Yeah. Or, yeah, I can go from one thing to another. So I was like, I don't have a problem anymore. But it became fairly apparent by the end of my senior year that there was a huge problem once uh, once I'd gotten so nutritionally deprived that my bones started breaking. Talk to me about, A, what were you actually putting into your body at this time? Because you mentioned that you were so particular about the foods that were okay and the foods that were not okay. Yeah. I think it was – I won my first NCAA championship at the end of my junior year. I think it was kind of this idea of, oh, if I want to win – national championships for cross country which is arguably one of the hardest um running national championships to win just because it's so competitive I was like I need to be all in on every sense of my life so I was running super high mileage at least for a collegiate athlete I was running about 100 miles a week but then I I was eating all the things that I thought were I was supposed to that were quote-unquote clean that were healthy like good proteins fats I wasn't like cutting out anything by any means um but I actually I was gluten-free at the time um because I thought that I had like my stomach would get super upset when I had certain foods but it was just because I was so nutritionally deprived that like my body couldn't handle it I guess which I've found out since then right but yeah it was probably the volume of food I was nowhere near the amount of calories that I needed to be eating but I was still eating a lot um so I was able to kind of like fly under the radar. So I was eating the amount that probably someone who was running 50 miles a week should be eating. But I was running double that. And right. so I just slowly kept losing more and more weight. But I kept running faster and faster and faster. Throughout that senior year, it was like I came in at probably – I won my first NCAA championship that past spring at 112. Came in after the summer having just trained so hard not eating enough, eating so quote unquote clean. I was probably 105, 106. Wow. Then go into the next season at 100. And every time, because you keep running faster, you think, oh, this is my new racing weight. Like this is this is what I should be at. And then by the time I got to the the spring and summer of my senior year, which was the 2016 Olympic trials, where I was just so obsessed with making an Olympic team. Um, I had my world standard for the 5K, but I was probably 95 pounds and just so unwell mentally and physically. And that was that was the breaking point. I broke my back and my sacrum in quick succession and just didn't even make it to line at the trials. And that was kind of like the rock bottom moment that I knew, like, you can't keep doing this. You're going to kill yourself. When you have this moment, is it a conversation you're having with yourself or does it quickly become a conversation that you're having also with your coaches, with your family, mm-hmm. with your parents, and probably uncomfortable conversations? Oh, yeah. Those were awful. So it was – I'm very, very, very lucky that I have people around me who love me and were able to see – and people around me who love me and who love me regardless of whether or not I'm running. And so basically like I had a bawling conversation with my mom about how she was like, I just want you to be healthy. Like I don't care about Molly the runner. I care about Molly the person and what Molly the person right now needs is help. Like you can't do this. And I think I had convinced myself. I was like, I don't have a problem. I just like, like I just need to gain a little bit of weight back and I'll be fine. Like, I know maybe I'm a little bit too low right now. 
at 95 thinking like, oh, I just have to get back up to 100 pounds and then I'll be fine. And it was this realization and talking with friends and family and my coach and be like, no, like you need to like really take this seriously. Like you are not healthy. This is going to be a long time to get back where you need to be. And I don't think when I was at the worst of my disorder that I realized just how hard it was going to be. Eating disorder treatment is really fucking hard, but ultimately it's worth it. It just takes time. And that was, I'm very glad that I had that support because I would not have gotten through that alone. When you broke your back and then your sacrum, did it start out as just something that felt a little off and then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, this is broken? Or was there a big moment that you knew, wow? For my back, it was kind of like a... It like started out feeling really, really sore. This is a couple days after indoor nationals. Um, so March of 2016, really sore, gradually progressed. We thought it was a back strain for a while just from having a long season. Got an x-ray, realized that there were fractures. Um, cross-trained so hard all through the spring with the intention of, oh, if I just cross-train super hard, I'll be back running in six weeks and I'll be able to make the trials. And uh, got back on the ground, was running and... I was in a track workout, be just so unhealthy. Weight was so low, getting ready for the trials. And I literally like, I felt like I'd been shot in my butt, basically. Like it just went. And I was like, oh my God. And had to like literally sit down on the track, just stop. And, and we knew what it was. Yeah. But even then I was like, maybe I can still make it back or something. Cause I was just, yeah, like mentally unwell at that point. How do you accept that you need help it was it was hard it was hard getting to that point of like being willing to say like okay I'm going to take a step back from my running I'm going to turn down these pro contracts that I've been offered I'm going to give up on and at the time I thought I was giving up on my running career and that's what like I just felt like I was giving up that I needed to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and I couldn't anymore. And it was it was hard. Yeah. I went back to Wisconsin. I was like, man, I'm like moving back home. Cool. Like super successful. And uh, yeah, went into treatment just outside of Milwaukee and um, spent four months in super intensive treatment. And then the still continued to like seek treatment over the next two years um, just on a more infrequent basis, um, but staying with my therapist. And I actually still um, talk with him fairly fre frequently. He's been um, kind of like my my main go-to guy because it's still something you need to like keep maintaining. You're never fully done with it. So that was an inpatient program. So you were there for four months. So it was an intensive outpatient because we lived so close that it was actually better for me and my therapist uh, thought of this, that if I was living at home, that it would be a much better situation for me to have the structure of family for like, my mom was able to like make me meals and like be able to really watch what I was eating. And he knew that I was like, when I hit rock bottom, I just went all in. Like I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to save my running career because I knew if I didn't take it seriously, he was like, my therapist was super hard on me, like very frank of like, if you don't take this seriously, you will never run again. And I was like, I'm going to be as dedicated to this as I am to my running. So if you want me to drink three insure shakes a day, I will drink three goddamn insure shakes a day and like do all this. And like, and I think he was actually pretty surprised about how quickly I was able to like do it. Usually something like that will take like six months to a year of pretty intensive work. So um, 
I think he was very surprised at just how like crazy, like crazy invested I was and like, let's do this. So while you're going through this program, how are you rehabbing your body as well? Obviously, a big part of it is reshaping maybe your relationship with food and also the mental side. But what are you doing for rehab for all of your bones and yeah. that kind of stuff? So I I didn't run for a while. I obviously like just needed to like let my body heal. Talk me through the mental side of that. It's hard. It's really hard because running is kind of like what keeps me stable. I part of it is like at least when you're like coming back from something like that at at the very beginning it is just so physically painful to move that it's like you you just can't do anything and just I had been so obsessively cross training and pushing through the pain which is something that you become very good at when you're a runner but you need to be able to separate like the good pain or like quote-unquote discomfort when you're training from like the bad pain of like oh this is broken and so being able to just learn to be still for a while and that's something that I still struggle with in times that like I need to take off where I just have a trouble sitting still sometimes yeah just learning to be like okay with your body and okay with your mind and learning some of those calming techniques and finding other ways of managing my OCD and anxiety without having to resort to obsessively working out or controlling the foods that I was eating. Right. Um, and then, because at the same time you're doing this, you're having to like gain weight, which goes against basically everything in sports culture and just like, I don't know, freaking Instagram culture nowadays <laughs> of like, no, only drink kale smoothies and you can lose another five pounds. And just like this idea of like, oh, I have to gain 10 pounds. And yeah, it's like, at the, I, my weight was so low that even just like, eating normal meals and then they were having me drink like two extra insure shakes a day like you're going to gain weight off that so it's like the mental side is just like trying to process like you've gone through all of this stress and like losing weight and losing weight and losing weight and you just feel like a failure as your weight goes up but yeah you kind of just have to buck up and it sucks but you get through it yeah I mean I can only imagine how difficult it's got to be to get over those mental hurdles of just accepting Mm -hmm. this new way of life and these new patterns and counteracting the things that you were so diligently working toward yeah well and it's you have to relearn just how to live and how to think because I think for the longest time my mind had been set to this idea it's in sport it's always okay to be a little bit underweight rather than overweight. The worst thing you can do is be one pound overweight. It's fine to be three pounds underweight. And now my thinking is totally shifted of like, I cannot go under like my minimum baseline weight, like, because I will get injured and I will like, my bones are going to suffer. So it's better now in my mind, I'm like, okay, it's better to be a little bit overweight in your training and then like I don't know you can get down to like your race weight but you can't go below that and just straight up you don't have the energy reserves like I'm so much stronger now in the training that I'm doing because I actually have energy to train Mm -hmm. rather than just like running off fumes and being so light that sometimes like your body can just propel itself. I'm curious to know what your relationship is these days with a scale. Do you get on it? I actually don't weigh myself anymore. Yeah. Like I'm fine with like being weighed, but I think it's 
I'll get like too wrapped up in the numbers. Yeah. And so I think I found that it's a lot better for me to actually just like I've got a better awareness of my body. So I was out in Ethiopia in the fall um, doing some volunteer work with Girls Gotta Run and training. And I lost weight while I was over there. And so when I came back, I was like, okay, like I can feel that I'm under the weight that I need to be. I just don't feel good right now. Like I need to focus on like gaining some weight back. Yeah. Or even like after this marathon cycle, I'm I'm doing fairly light training right now compared to what I was doing. So like I'm okay with like gaining some weight, getting like my reserves back up as I enter the next training cycle because I know it's going to be a really long spring and summer like how's, as I get ready for the games. Right. And how special is it now that you have this sense to feel how it is that you're doing? Because before mm-hmm. so much of quote unquote how you felt was based on what you would look down and see. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like – just being able to like have that like I guess confidence and awareness in my body and to like step to the line and know I'm not necessarily the skinniest girl on that line but that I'm like confident in my body is like I'm much more at peace with it and I don't like I'm not obsessed with it like I was right yeah and that just brings me a lot of like relief taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsor at Element. Element makes a science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. Now, I have tried my fair share of electrolytes over the years as I have trained for marathons and navigated 100-mile bike rides, and Element is without a doubt my favorite to date, which is saying a lot. The formula is super high caliber. It's plant-based with no sugar, fillers, gluten, or any other sketchy ingredients, and I love their flavors. I'm a salty sweater, cute, I know. (laughs) So this salty sip with the right amount of citrus not only tastes delicious, but fuels me to go after my goals. Get a free Element sample pack, which includes eight packets of Element for just $5 shipping when you head on over to drinkelement.com slash hurdle. That's drinklmnt.com slash hurdle. Right now, it's hot out there. It is prime time to take advantage of this offer if you haven't done so yet. Again, it's absolutely free. All you got to do is pay $5 in shipping. Head on over to drinklmnt.com slash hurdle to get yours today. Also want to give some love to my friends at Athletic Greens. Last week, I had a wonderful conversation about how to fuel your marathon training with Inside Trackers, lead nutrition scientist and registered dietitian, Ashley Reaver. And in that conversation, we talked about how important it is to get so many of the things in our diets that Athletic Greens offers. Athletic Greens has got the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. It's also got prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods, not to mention 75 whole food sourced ingredients. When I say that Athletic Greens is my nutritional powerhouse, that would be a complete, complete understatement. It's what I shake up every single morning with some ice cubes, sometimes a squeeze of lemon to just feel my best and give back to the body that gives me so much. Of course, Athletic Greens has an awesome offer for you. They are giving a year's supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get yours today. No code necessary. 
Okay, so four months through the treatment program, mm-hmm. then what happens? Uh, then I was actually healthy enough at that point that I my therapist had kind of told me like, I don't think you should be like training super heavily, but I was like, but I want to train heavily. And like, if I can get super healthy in the next four months, would you let me like go and maybe spend the fall out in Flagstaff, live back there in a healthy way, and then come back, maybe go back to Notre Dame in the spring then. And I, so I like went all in on treatment, got healthy, got back up to the weight that he had wanted me at, and then ended up being able to go out to Flagstaff for that fall, do do some training, and then with the intention of coming back that next spring and hoping to run well so that I could get a pro contract. So Sorry if this, this timeline is super I'm, messed yeah, up. Yeah, I'm running the this timeline. This is the fall of, my... of 2016. Okay. So I uh, got to go out to Flagstaff, just be with friends. I took the fall off of school because this was after I'd graduated, but coming back for a fifth year now. So I was not at Notre Dame for that fall. Came back in the spring. And even though my body was in a much healthier place and eating disorder like that, it um it just kind of saps your bones. It has very long-term repercussions that I don't think I was fully prepared for just how severe they were going to be. And I ended up fully fracturing my hip at the end, or my pelvis, at the end of my um, my fifth year. So I finished out my NCAA career being effectively immobile, not able to do anything, and with just nobody was offering me contracts because I was effectively a broken toy. And yeah, nobody was interested. When you fracture your pelvis, <laughs> that's such a horrible sentence to say. When that happens to you, are you? do you feel like you're just back on the ground again? Yeah, it was... I continued to run on it for a while. Um, it was kind of a situation where it was so excruciatingly painful, but I was really in denial about what it was. And I think my coach was hoping that it was something different than it was. Um, and I was under a lot of pressure to perform. Um, but eventually it got to the point where I could not walk. Um, so we went in, got the MRI. It showed that it was very severely fractured. And so that was it. And it's just, I thought that, truthfully, I thought that was it, that I was going to be done. Um and I I healed up. I finally was able to do stuff again. And Saucony was willing to offer me a contract to come out to Boston, run on a team that they were putting together. And for me at the time, that was way more than I deserved. Like nobody would have offered that kind of contract, that kind of developmental contract. And so I like I'm still so enormously grateful to yeah. them for that. So I moved out here. I was training for a year and I had quite a bit of success my first year of training, um, but kept running into this problem that my hip that I had thought healed would just get sore the more track work that I was doing, kept getting hurt, kept getting hurt. And uh, right after USA, um, USA 10K champs uh, on the track after that first year of running pro, went back in, got another MRI to see if there was something wrong. And they found that it actually never healed fully, that I had a two millimeter gap in that pelvis. So yeah, another biggie. And then they're like, okay, you need to have this like surgically repaired. Like this won't heal on its own. So that was, went in on my birthday in summer of 2018. Had, they drilled out the bone marrow from the two crests of my hip on the very top, spun it down to get the stem cells and then injected in the bottom. And that was like, I've been through some really painful things in my life. And having to do that with no pain, like, because they couldn't do pain medication and they couldn't put me out for it because I needed to be awake for to like manipulate myself. That was 
quite literally like what I imagine hell to be like. Yeah. I can't. How? Like, how does someone endure? One, they gave me a Xanax. So at least I was like chilled out while it was happening. The the doctor who did the surgery um, was like, she's one of my favorite people. Super, super nice. She gave me like a sandwich halfway through because it's like a two part surgery. But yeah, it was it was hellish. They pulled out like and even like after you go through the drilling and like the bone marrow's out, your hip is just so hurting so bad. And then they unsheath this like needle that is the biggest needle I've ever seen to inject the stem cells into the bottom of your like like the very bottom part of my pelvis. And it was just like, oh, my God. But you just kind of. Yeah, you just get through it. Did you think at this point, even though you were getting quote unquote fixed, that you were going to be able to come back to running? Were you sure of it? They gave me a 50-50 chance of it working. Um, And then like even then it might not like with the full knowledge that like I might never run at the same level again, just with how impinged and like impaired my hip would be. Um, So yeah, I'm happy to say that I was the better half of that 50%. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of like, truthfully, it was kind of miraculous. Um, but yeah, it was basically six months of not being able to do anything. So yeah, from July of that year to the next January. So now we're finally in January 2019. 2019. Man, time Literally, flies. Time I know. Flies. Sorry if there's so much stuff. It's like <laughs> the timeline's wild. But yeah, then it's like literally starting from square one. Right. And so yeah, 2019 was hard because it was like trying to like build back up off of nothing. What advice would you offer to people who like you just feel as though they are getting knocked down time and time and time again by injury? Mm-hmm. I would say that the number one thing is to, if you are feeling like you're just in this injury cycle, constantly hurting things, you have to get back to a point where it you feel fully healthy. You don't want to constantly be playing catch up. And I think that was my problem for a long time is that I always had something going on and I would try to push through it and then it would cause another injury. And I'd try and push through that and it'd cause another injury. And I almost think that those six months of being able to just like sit, let everything heal and then start building off of it coming from the standpoint of my body is finally healthy. My hip is finally healed. I'm not like nursing something and then trying to push through it. I think once you're coming from a standpoint of being healthy, then you can build off of that. It takes a long time. But if you're constantly like facing these tiny things or large things, you're going to be hitting yourself against a wall constantly. And that's not to say that through 2019, I didn't have a lot of injuries. I mean, that's ultimately why I ended up with my new coach because I had so many like imbalances. But now I do feel that at least I'm in the standpoint where like I'm able to train at a higher level because like my hip is repaired Mm -hmm. and because I took the time to let it heal and it was really freaking hard being patient enough to do that but and it sucked at the time yeah I also think it's I also think that it was probably important for you like your mom said to you when you were younger like I care about Molly my daughter not just Molly the runner Mm -hmm. you probably also had to get to a point where you cared about Molly the person and not just Molly the runner yeah and I think it's like yeah having to think about like oh man I don't want to like destroy my body so like 20 years from now I can't walk which I think 
previously, I was definitely under the opinion, like, I'm just going to go as hard as I can now and not think about Molly at age 45. And now it's like, mm, I want to make sure that like my pelvis doesn't snap when I'm that old. Yeah. Um. So it's like, yeah, definitely try. And even not even from that standpoint, just thinking like, if I want to try and stay in this sport for the next hopefully 10 years, like I see women now who are competing at a super high level in the marathon at age 35, 36. It's like, I'd ultimately like to do that, but I need my body to be healthy to do that. And I can't be like constantly just like tearing myself apart. So what's the first race in 2019 that you come back to and it's like, Molly's back. Um, I did the BAA 10K. That was in June. So it actually had been based almost exactly a full year since my previous race at USA Outdoors um, on the track. And I actually raced way better than I thought I was going to. I actually think I like PR'd in the 10K. And there, so I was like shocked. How I was did like, it feel towing the line that day? Oh, I was so nervous, but I was so excited. There's just like, nothing feels like racing feels. And I was just so like ready to get back into it. Yeah. But yeah, it was terrifying. I was like, I really hope I'm still able to do this. <laughs> like, So you do the 10K mm -hmm. and then you're feeling high. Feeling high, go and do um, a couple more races and then do Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta on July 4th. And I hurt my hip again <sighs> and was on crutches for two weeks. And I definitely like, called coach sparks my college coach and cried to him it was like i think this is the end of my running career and he was like you're being dumb you're too dumb to quit running like you're going to get through this just like you've gotten through everything else you just need to be patient right got through that spent the summer rehabbing when did you say you went to ethiopia that was actually november okay so that was part of it i had gotten involved with girls gotta run previously i'd been out in january of 20 2019 actually doing a relay and um, it was a really good way of while I was injured and kind of building up to focus on something that wasn't just me. Yeah. And I think that actually really helped as well because it's like running is such a selfish sport that you're just so self-focused all the time. It's like, how does my body feel? How am I performing? And being able to think like bigger picture of like what's going to be good for all of these people who aren't me was really important for me and realizing like that ultimately like our sport is super silly and inconsequential and like there's a huge world out there and it just gives you a good perspective on like I'm doing this because I love running and it fulfills my goals but there's more to this than just me right and so you come back from that trip and you qualify for the trials at the rock and roll San Antonio yes one ten twenty seven yeah <laughs> and that was slow. yeah it was yeah, I was very surprised just because it was very hard to train in Ethiopia. It's really high. I had only been running consistently since September at that point, and John was now coaching me, so my my current coach and my friend. And so we had no idea how that was going to go. I think John always has a lot of confidence in me, but yeah, we were both pleasantly surprised with how well that went. And, and that's a <clears throat> and that's a one ten twenty seven half marathon. I feel like we just like throw these numbers around. Yeah, like, yeah. This is people what's going are probably on. like, what are these numbers? <laughs> what's going on? But then there was more to be had. Yeah. So after that race, I was originally set to debut in the marathon at the Houston Marathon, and then the Houston half is the big race that everybody does before the trials. And my coach and I were talking, and he was like you know what, like maybe like 
you could switch to the half at Houston. And I was like, would you let me do the Olympic trials like for the marathon? He's like, I'm not wild about the idea, but like maybe we can do this. Like this might be a really cool experience and like we'll see if Houston will let you switch to the half. They let me switch to the half and went out to altitude then beginning of this past year, 2020. Um, was just training my training my butt off and got to the line, ran very well at Houston. And yeah, then just was like kind of got that like little inkling in my mind of like, okay, I, I think I can do this. And I think what I didn't even realize until more recently was just the dramatic difference, I would say, between how fast you have to be as a half marathoner to qualify for the <laughs> Olympic trials in the marathon versus, I mean, within reason, how fast you would run a marathon to qualify for the trials in a marathon. For women, you have to run a marathon in under 245 and if you are qualifying using a half marathon time, you have to run the half marathon in under 113. That is a big difference. I yeah. think it's I think it's like talks to how much of a badass you are that you qualified being a half marathoner. And, and that's, there are other women who do qualify off the half marathon. I I don't know the exact number of us that did, but yeah, it's I think it's kind of this expectation. Like if you're going to be like if you're qualifying off the half, you have to be re- willing to go out and like freaking send it like totally yeah you have to kind of know what you're getting yourself into so needless to say you come off of the houston half marathon you're feeling great and you're like wow i guess it's time to go out there and run a full finally yeah yeah but i was like that's not to say that i wasn't scared out of my goddamn mind because it was effectively the deepest field the olympic marathon trials had ever had just the the state of women's distance running in the u.s right now is insane there are so many women who are so talented so going into this I really was trying to keep my expectations fairly low the secret to happiness as they say (laughs) um but yeah I was not by any means sure like just seeing like oh we have Sarah Hall who's run 222 for the marathon we have like Emma Bates, Emily Sisson, Molly Huddle, who's like a 30-time national champion, Desi Linden who's freaking won the Boston Marathon like all of these women and every time I would think I think of like five new other women who are doing this thing and so I'm like okay like let's just like go out with the goal of just seeing what you can do try and like keep your expectations based on your effort rather than on like places because like I was so mentally prepared to do so badly in this race that I was just like hyping myself up like your self-worth isn't based on how you finish in a marathon like your time in the marathon doesn't tell you anything about your value as a human. And so I was so ready to do so badly in this race. And then it went so much better than I expected it to. And I almost don't know how to like react to that now. Do you attribute that to anything specific? Um, I think I've been over the last, I guess it's five years now at this point, I've running has broken my heart so many times. I've had so many failures in this sport that I try to like, not to say that I always expect the worst, but I'm always ready for it if it comes. And that's, I think, part of my mentality going into that race of like just expecting it to hurt so badly the entire time because that's just, I've kind of gotten used to that over the last couple of years. Like, and I'm okay with that. I know that sometimes like life just sucks and you just have to get through it and I kind of expected that to be the marathon. (laughs) (laughs) But when it's not. That's why I was so surprised that like the first 20 miles, I was like, the marathon is obviously hard. But then I'm getting into it. I'm like, oh, man, like 
I feel like consistent and smooth in this. Like I feel it's this feeling of like power, I guess. Like, you know, you're running hard and you feel tired, but you're like, I can keep running at this like all day long. Yeah. It's this indescribable high. Yeah. Can't even imagine maintaining the pace that you were running and feeling that level of high. But I can relate to that feeling Mm -hmm. because earlier last year, I ran Chicago at a pace that I had never dreamed of. And Mm -hmm. you're out there and it just is as if you're invincible. Yeah. And then even with the crowds at the trials, it was crazy. There were so many people there. It's like going through a scream tunnel and you're just like, but that's the funny thing. I wasn't like elated by any means. I felt like my emotions were very in check. And like I was just in like this flow state that I just felt like I was like going. Talk to me about the moment you realize what's about to happen (laughs) as you are getting toward mile 25, mile 26. Well, I want to preface this with I was in more pain in those last two miles than I have been just about in any race of my life. Like it's so freaking hard. So like you can't really like enjoy it because one, you're so terrified that someone's going to catch you. And then they give you that tiny little flag like 600 meters from the finish. You're like, this is way too early to be giving me this flag. There's a lot of race left. Um, But I think coming down once you hit the final downhill because it was downhill for the last 200 meters. And so by that time I was like, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to the Olympics at this point. And I could see my my whole family was there and I could see my brother and my sister holding up these ridiculous cutout heads they'd had of me. And my sister is literally in hysterics, like sobbing. And that's when I was like starting to like break, like just break apart. I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, it was it was wild because you're just crossing the line and it's like the culmination of every dream you've had since you're like a kid. It was it was like next level and just realizing like, damn, like I just like did that. Yeah. I, I'm still kind of processing that moment. I don't think anyone ever fully processes that moment. No. You just replay it and replay it and mm-hmm. replay it. And you probably ask yourself, how does it get better than this? And I think maybe the answer to that is when you run in the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, I don't know. It's just like, it's such an honor to get to like, say like oh yeah I'm representing the U.S. like at the Olympics and I think that's the that's the core of it just the opportunity to go out on the world stage and to represent everything like represent the country that I grew up in and like I don't know it's just a sense of pride and I'm really really looking forward to getting to do that and I'm everyone dreams of like being competitive at the at the Olympics but at the end of the day it's about like going out and just being willing to like give your best effort and and do everything you can on the day to like I don't know put the best foot forward for the country effectively I love it and the the metaphor of the best foot forward as you move forward with running you're just so (laughs) oh it's a feet joke because it's running (laughs) so good at this okay so talk to me about what life's like now obviously you said your training is in a well-deserved downbeat yeah my coach has been super nice he knows that like sometimes in full time off that my body doesn't respond super well to it. So he's letting me run in these two weeks after the marathon, which really helps. Shockingly, my body actually feels like pretty okay right now. So like I've just been doing easy mileage. I think I did like 30 miles last week. And it's just nice being able to like enjoy being back home in Boston finally with my sister. The weather's been really nice. I'm back with my friends and just kind of like 
in that sense, my life is much calmer in the sense of media and social media specifically. Things have been absolutely insane, which I don't think I was prepared for. Let's talk about that. It's been wild. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, how many like if we just take Instagram as a platform, for example, like how many followers did you show up to the trials with? I showed up on trials morning probably with either a hair under 8000 or right around 8000. And now what are we at? Like 45K? 45. Yeah. Um, I just got verified as of today. That was exciting. Yeah. Um. It's just like, it's almost like a joke to me. Like every time I see it, it doesn't seem real. And like, I now I definitely, I'm not super good with posting all the time. I'll go dark for long periods of time. Also, I usually don't have very good quality photos on my Instagram. So now for one, it's really weird having all of these great photos from the trials. I don't know what to do with it. It's really ruining my um, blurry iPhone running photo aesthetic. aesthetic. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it's uh it is kind of fun and definitely like having a little bit more of a platform. A lot of people have been like reaching out or DMing, so I apologize if anyone hearing this has DM'd me and I haven't responded. I'm still working through everything and I truthfully probably won't get to them all. I think you're entitled to have some time to uh, to work through it. And I mean, but the thing about social media is that there's no denying that you want to do the best you can to help as many people as you can. And I think, I mean, it speaks to the work that you did in Ethiopia. Like Mm -hmm. you want to show up and help other people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels as though there's just not enough time to help as many people as you want. No. And that's what like, yeah, it's like there's always a new message to respond to. There's always like five different things. And I feel like you can just kind of like spiral into it and there's no getting out. And then obviously you always have like, the haters online of people like responding to stuff and it's almost like you can't even respond it's like it's not even worth it yeah so and truthfully i'm usually so awol with my social media that i miss half the stuff on there so probably for the better sometimes probably for the better (laughs) or just like at the end of the day i just try to i try to keep in mind a piece of advice i was once given that don't accept criticism from anyone that you wouldn't accept advice from Oh, good one. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah. It's it's good to keep in mind of like all the rando like let's run haters. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And there are definitely a lot of them. When it comes to walking away from that trials experience, aside from obviously a place on the Olympic team, what would you say just from that experience and from running a marathon, maybe one of your biggest takeaways was whether it's technical or a little bit more metaphorical or whatever you got for me? I guess it's this feeling of going into that race. I felt like I, even like on the starting line, I didn't feel like I belonged. I don't deserve to be here. I I haven't done enough to earn my way here. There's so many people here who have done so much more. I, even now, like I've felt like a fraud a little bit. And being in that race and finally getting up there, um, it was actually kind of cool. The final part of the course You go out underneath the Olympic rings, turn around and come back past the Olympic torch. And um, as we're coming back, you're seeing the women coming out still. And and one of those women was Desi Linden, who was in fourth at that time and trying to trying to still close the gap, make the team. And um, she she saw us. She saw me and Alphine coming out and she just like looked straight at us and gave me a thumbs up. And I was I felt like it was like that moment of like, no you deserve to be here. Like you 
freaking go after this. Like, don't disappoint Desi Linden. Because, <laughs> um, like, she's just, like, the freaking biggest hero of mine. Like, I cried watching her win Boston coming through mile 19 and be like, oh, my God, she's going to do it. So, like, getting that kind of, like, validation and, like, realizing, like, no, like, I I can perform at this level. Like, regardless of what I've gone through the last couple of years, like, I have worked way too damn hard and suffered too damn much to give up now so I think that kind of validation of like coming over line being like I'm glad that I didn't chicken out or like I'm glad that I was brave enough to go and run hard before I believed I was ready to run hard in that race and I think that happens for so many people right regardless of it's running or I mean how many times do we question do I belong here can I show up here am I allowed to take up space but how beautiful is it when you do show up Mm -hmm. and you tell yourself that I do belong here yeah because so often yeah and I think a lot of people probably sell themselves short I think I definitely have done that on a lot of occasions assuming like I shouldn't be up with the front pack because I'm I'm not fast enough to run with that group. I should play it safe and stay back here. And and I'm that's not to say that sometimes it doesn't work out. Like I've definitely had times where I've tried to go out with the front pack and I've blown up spectacularly. I think it's it's this idea that like you have to do all the work and you have to be brave enough to put yourself out there. And sometimes a lightning bolt is going to strike from the heavens and it's going to work out. And sometimes it's just not going to flow and it's going to be one of those days that it doesn't work. But if you're not willing to put yourself up there and to put yourself in a position to be great, you're never going to be great. So you talked to me about maybe one of the biggest takeaways aside from going to the Olympics from the trials. What would you say was one of the best pieces of advice that you were offered going into it? A couple of the amateur women who had qualified for the trials, I was kind of hanging out with them before the race, just sitting with them. They were super nice. They were like my race moms. And they kept saying they were the women who first told me, don't warm up 20 minutes, like warm up five (laughs) minutes. Um, But then also saying like, remember, stay calm, stay patient. The race doesn't start until at least 16 miles. So on that course, they were eight mile loops. So that would have been the going into the third lap. So those first two laps, I was conserve your energy, stay in the pack, tuck behind, draft off people because it was super windy. It was like 20 miles an hour. But I was like, use as little mental energy as you can because the race starts on the third lap. And like you have to be ready by the time you get to the third lap. You can't exhaust your legs early in the race trying to race these first 16 miles because it doesn't start till till like well into the day and how valuable is that 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 helped you get to that point and then really kick it in that saved me that saved my race like being able to go into the third lap and feel like okay now I'm ready to go and I think at that point a lot of women in that race were because a lot of women's legs were just absolutely fried people had been playing little strategic games fighting each other um making moves And with how windy it was and how hilly it was, I think it sapped a lot of people's legs. And a lot of women said that after the race that their legs just felt trashed. Yeah. And I, I think like between the, the 16 to 22 mile mark is when uh, quite a few of the top group ended up dropping out. And so I think it was definitely a matter of just learning to like preserve yourself as long as you can and like choose your battles. Cause that's not to say like the last six miles were the hardest I've ever run. But I felt like I was able to get to that point and still be like, okay, you can be competitive. You can 
you can fight this out and not feel like you're redlining the entire time. You mentioned the 45,000 new social media followers. Oh, God. They uh, come to your page now and they see this triumphant woman. <laughs> Don't laugh. It's true. It's, it's just so weird. This triumphant <laughs> woman who has maybe even surpassed her wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. You look in the mirror now. What is it that you see staring back at you? Despite everything over the past week and even that race, like I feel like my general opinion of myself hasn't changed at all. Like all of this is fun. I almost like still doesn't seem quite real, but I felt like going into that race, I was in a really good place mentally. I went into that race because I was assuming that it was going to go so badly. I had come to terms with the fact it was like the outcome of this race doesn't affect my opinion of myself. Like I was so obsessed in 2016 with making a team. I felt like that was what I had to do to have value as a human. And this time around, I was like, I feel like I love the training that I'm doing. I love the community that I'm surrounded by in Boston. I love the I love just like being in this place right now that I am in my life. And making an Olympic team doesn't change that about me. Like, sure, it would like that is my highest goal as an athlete. But at the end of the day, like my value as a human doesn't rest on that. And so going into it and making that team, it's so cool. But at the same time, it makes me so happy. But I feel like my happiness isn't contingent on that anymore. I feel like a more complete person who's got other things. And like truthfully, the happiest moment of that day wasn't crossing the finish line and like having the adoration of people and like, oh, my God, you made the team. It was sitting in the bar that night eating a burger, surrounded by my favorite people in the world, getting to just celebrate this moment and be be in it and just being happy that I was healthy and able to walk without pain after that race and surrounded by people that I love and just realized that I was going to the Tokyo Olympics. And yeah, it's like there are these huge moments in our life. I think everyone assumes like, oh, you make an Olympic team, you're just happy for the rest of your life. Like, no, I'm still going to struggle. I'll probably still like get hurt multiple times through my career. There's going to be other things. But as long as I'm okay with like being who I am at my core and able to live with that, that is what brings me. That's what brings me like peace. It's not getting medals or yeah. Yeah. Getting medals or breaking records or whatnot. All those are temporary. You need to be okay with who you are at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think it's really special that the best part of that day is the celebration of the event, because I think so often, especially in events and milestones where you work so hard, there's so much buildup that we don't take the time to stop, look around and enjoy all of mm -hmm. our hard work. Yeah. Well, and just to enjoy it wasn't even necessarily that it was like being able to appreciate all of the people who helped me get there, like seeing my mom and dad so happy and having seen them like have to drive me to eating disorder treatment and like be with me through that. Or like my, my sister who was like having to help me like hobble around on crutches all summer. And like, I don't know, my brother who was one of the people who was there at those 2016 trials with me that I was like at my breaking point and he got me through it. It's like, yeah, it's just like, those are the people who got me through the worst of times. And now I get to share this with them. And it's just so much fun. And like now they're going to get to come to Tokyo with me and like get to just share that like 
I don't know. That will that's what was really special. It's the act of it's the act of running on the day, like actually being in that race and realizing that there's no other place that I would rather be in the world than full flight in the middle of a race, just hauling and just being in it and then getting to celebrate and just be surrounded by my favorite people and just appreciate what we've been through to get to that moment. You have an opportunity right now to mm-hmm. offer the Molly who is in the thick of it. She's struggling. You have an opportunity to offer her one piece of advice looking back on it. What do you tell her? I would say that nothing lasts forever in that nothing, no bad thing is going to last forever. No matter how bad it gets, it won't last forever. And good things won't last forever. So it's like you just have to be in the moment and get through it. And this idea that it's okay to feel sad and hurt and to just let yourself experience those emotions and just realize that no matter how much you're hurting right now, that will pass and you're going to be able to get through it. But you just have to accept that sometimes it's going to be really, really hard and you just have to keep moving and stay strong. And even now it's like I can appreciate I can appreciate the pain that I went through in eating disorder treatment or when I had my injuries because I realized like that's turned me into the person that I am now. But I think I just needed to like fully experience that when I was in it. And yeah, it sucked, but now it's like on the other side, I can appreciate it. So yeah, uh, I feel like I didn't say that as eloquently as I (laughs) wanted to, but just this idea that there's going to be so many ups and downs, but none of them are going to last forever. So just be able to like keep riding it out and you're going to get through it. And I don't know. No matter how bad things might be, you never know what's going to happen the <laughs> next day. I personally am so grateful for your time. Mm-hmm. And I actually have zero doubts in my mind that this is going to impact and help a lot of people, some of which you maybe just don't have the time to get their, to their DM. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize if I left you on unread. It's okay. It's okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Please take a moment and leave a quick review by clicking the link with the description to this episode. We all face multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the podcast, Instagram, Twitter, at Hurdle Podcast. Molly, where do they find you? How do they keep up with you? How do they follow you on your road to Tokyo? Probably the best way is through my Instagram at by golly Molly. I have a pretty much inactive Twitter account at <laughs> by golly Molly 12. So probably don't rely on that. Or if you're around the Boston area and out running, just come say hi to me. You'll probably see me down by the river. Perfect. Come run with me. Perfect. I am at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.